Good morning, church. Wow, what a great time being here together with uh, you all and with uh, Daniel and Karen and the team. Um, enjoyed it. We met in uh, Hawaii, and so I ended up, uh, actually, he, I think, picked me up from the airport. That's how it started. Is that right? I think that's how it started. And uh, then he convinced me that I was to come preach in Alaska. Uh, I hadn't been thinking about it, but he, he felt it was God. And uh, so I, I thought, well, maybe, may, may, maybe so. You know, what, a, what a, an amazing journey to get Daniel and Karen here. What a cross-pollination of a church with a Hawaiian pastor with an Alaskan congregation who used to be a surfer and now has a cup with a gun in it. This is, this is called journey. This is a journey. Uh, amazing. Well, it's great to see uh, what you're doing and uh, what, what you're about to do. And uh, with the leaders yesterday, had a great time. Uh, also with staff and this morning service. I got to fly out right after, so I won't be hanging around. I'm going to have to kind of leave and catch a plane. Uh, my wife is here with me. Sharon, why don't you stand so they know who you are. We've been married 42 years, um, 30 really good years. Uh, have four kids, two grandkids. We pastored two churches. I taught in college also. And uh, our life has been basically the uh, church and uh, writing books and travel and doing the stuff that we do. Uh, Sharon's actually originally from Australia. And then she came here with her father. Her father was the dean of the college I taught at. And so that's how I married Sharon. I asked him to teach me how to study the Bible. And Sharon was the person who made us tea. And so when she came in to make us tea, when I was in the Bible study with Kevin Connor, I realized that there was a God in heaven to cause me to want to study the Bible. <laughs> that there was more to this than just learning these techniques. And so we've been married 42 years and have a great life. All right, because time is going to go so fast like it always does, and you don't know me, and I don't know you, although I know your pastors. You have to know that he doesn't allow people in his pulpit probably very much. And so he would trust me and know me, and I don't have to kind of give you more introduction and talk about who I am, where I come from, and all that stuff. I want to just go right to the Word with you for a few minutes and deposit something into your spirit, into your heart, that I think will be a blessing. I want to put it right there, and then I'm going to hopefully seal the deal and uh, believe that this will be an encouraging word for you. I'm going to quote two scriptures. There's only going to be one slide that will come up on the screen later. Uh, but I want to have you kind of go through the journey with me for a few minutes on framing in this message. Because if you don't get the frame, you're going to miss the picture. Uh, the frame is the most important piece, I think, sometimes of preaching, at least for a teacher. And so I'm going to quote two scriptures. If you take a note, you can write them down, and you can actually go to one. I'll park there in a while. But I'm going to quote Isaiah 61, and I'm going to quote Luke chapter 4. Actually, I'm going to read Luke chapter 4. And so if you want to put your finger in Luke chapter 4 or Isaiah 61, 
I will land there in a few minutes and we will piece out some of the phrases that's in this verse. Isaiah was one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. He was 750 years prior to Christ. 750 years prior to Christ, but he's the most quoted prophet in the New Testament. He's quoted more by Paul, more by everybody than any other prophet in the New Testament. He was a statesman. He was a prophet that was uh, organized. He was different than Jeremiah, who just kind of went everywhere with his prophecies. And some of the other prophets, like Ezekiel, the visions were so symbolic, it was very hard to follow. But Isaiah was one of those teaching prophets. He would actually prophesy in points. He would prophesy very sequential. He would prophesy things that were so crystal clear you could not miss it. And because of that, we use Isaiah for so many major events in the church. When it comes to Christmas, it's Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, Emmanuel, names of Christ, all that. We, we quote Isaiah all the time. When it comes to Easter, Isaiah 53 is big on the agenda almost every time. Uh, when it comes to the resurrection, we have scriptures, the New Jerusalem, Isaiah uh, 65, 66, and so when you go through Isaiah, some of the most famous scriptures that's quoted by preachers are Isaiah chapter 40 about the wings of eagle and gaining strength. Well, he's a, he's a famous prophet, and uh, being the prophet that he was, he was used by the synagogues uh, around the time of Christ. The synagogues had to uh, really plan out their services. They had an agenda. They had a one-hour service. And the synagogues sprinkled all over Galilee and Palatine, all over there, were very small. There were no large synagogues. There were 100, 150, 180. That was it. They were neighborhood churches, and they were synagogues, and, and they functioned that way. Their priests were not full-time because they were rural synagogues. They didn't need full-time priests. They only had one-day service, one-hour service, and the priests would normally be like all the other priests, in professions, careers, doing something else, and then they would serve on the Sabbath. The only full-time priests were in Jerusalem, where they had the big feasts three times a year, and the temple was huge, and they did sacrifices daily, and so that was a huge thing, all the priests. Because of that, the priests in Jerusalem would actually plan the agenda for the rural synagogue so that they could follow what was going to go on on that Sabbath, because it was kind of complicated for this reason. If you would call for someone to read a scripture in the synagogue, they had to get the scroll. The scrolls were bulky. The scrolls were hard. The scrolls were not like you think of a book, because like Isaiah would have been maybe 15 scrolls for that one prophet that you would have to find. And if you'd have to find one scripture, you'd have to get the exact scroll at the exact place to use it. Nothing was really easy. And so because of that, they would actually plan out the services, plan out the agenda, plan out the reading a year ahead of time. So everything was done, kind of like what you guys have here, what I have, uh, would be an agenda for the church service. They would have that. There'd be a reading of the Psalms, or there would be a reading of the scriptures assigned, there would be prayer, there would be some teaching, there would be some singing, there would be all these things that would happen for about 60 minutes. They were not very long services. Now, when the prophets were read, they had to get the scroll out and put them in place, and they built like a coffee table with holes on the top of it so that it would be next to their little podium, and they actually had tables that they spoke from, not podiums, and they would uh, put the scrolls in the coffee table top, the hole, because the scrolls had wooden ends to it, so you could drop it in that hole, and then they would have Sabbath day like it's uh, July, so they'd have the first Sunday of Saturday for them, Saturday for July, they have the five Saturdays, uh, all planned out, and they would be sitting there in that coffee table so that you could read them. Now, fast forward with me 
And you have this cultural thing going on. And you have the synagogue, you have the scrolls, you have the reading, you have the service, you have everything that's going on. Fast forward 750 years, and you come to a synagogue service in Luke chapter 4. Now, the synagogue service in Luke chapter 4, the people had no idea what was going to happen. The people were not expecting anything unusual. It's kind of like what you did today coming to church. You, you come to church. I'm not saying this is naughty. But you come to church not always expecting a miracle things going to happen. It's going to be the best Sunday ever. You come expecting it's going to be a good Sunday. And, and you have certain levels of expectation to go with life. And that would be the same with these people. They came to the synagogue. It's another Saturday, another reading. And then they couldn't work the whole day. So they had to plan the whole day. They couldn't even walk more than a certain distance. They couldn't eat certain foods. They couldn't say certain things. The Sabbath had over 100 laws that the Sadducees, Pharisees, and others had put onto the Sabbath. So it was a very complicated day. And so they would go under the service, and, and really they'd be thinking maybe about what's coming, and then what's after the service, and et cetera. So on this day, I said all that to get to this. On this day, Luke chapter 4, let's pick it up. Are you there? Luke 4, 16. You know the scripture. He, your pastor quoted some of it today, and most people would know the scripture. But I want you, look at me for a moment, I want you to be my synagogue, so to speak. I want you to be that congregation that is going to experience this scripture. And I want you to actually experience something that maybe might even be a surprise. But you're here, you're in the room, and I'm going to read the scripture. So he came to Nazareth, Jesus, Luke 4, 16 where he had been brought up. So this is his town. Nazareth is only 6,000 people. It's a little rural community of blue-collar workers. It's not the professional community. And as his custom was, that is, he had a habit, had a custom, had a culture, he went into the synagogue, which he had been doing for 33 years with his family and his siblings of four. By the way, he had four. His mother and father and brother and sister, he had four besides himself. And so when he comes into the synagogue, his whole life, 33 years, first of all, he's a known factor. There's no unknown factor about Jesus of Nazareth with that group. The, the, the Nazareth people knew Joseph, they knew Mary, they knew the brothers, they, they knew Jesus the carpenter. They were all carpenters because that's the way the family was raised in those days. And so for Jesus to do this was absolutely normal. There's nothing earth-shaking about what's going on here. So he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. Why? Because he was appointed to read that day. You didn't volunteer to read. You would have been appointed to read, assigned to read, that your Sabbath to read, and Jesus was in the room because that was his day to read. How supernatural, though, is this? And when he had opened the book, well, that's the sentence before, and he was handed, notice in your Bible, and he was handed. He didn't choose it. He was handed the book of Isaiah. Why? Because that's the reading for the day. And when he had opened the book, unrolled the scroll, he found the place, which was Isaiah 61, which was reading left to right. So he had to go down and find Isaiah 61. All of this would have had to have been pre-planned, or it would take minutes and minutes to even try to do this. And so they had their logistics down, so he picked up the scroll, but something's going to happen that nobody in the room is expecting. It's supernatural. It is absolutely, unbelievably planned by God that the man that's reading the scripture, the scripture is about the man. 
So that had never happened before. Not in the history of Israel has this ever happened before that the prophecy and the person the prophecy is about and the fulfillment of the prophecy is all going to happen at the same minute in the same room by that person and they have no idea this is going to happen. So when Jesus stands up to read and he's handed the scroll of Isaiah and he goes down to Isaiah chapter 61 700 years earlier and now here it is, all of heaven's holding their breath. Everybody in heaven is looking at this because this is the beginning. Everyone say the beginning. This is the beginning of what they have been waiting for for a thousand years, four thousand years, four thousand years. They've been waiting for someone to stand up, not just someone, but the Son of God. And so there had to be a virgin birth. There had to be all this that took place before we finally get to the beginning of Christ's ministry. And all of heaven is paying attention. And at this point, prophecy is going to be fulfilled. At this point, the people in the room have no idea, but they're going to be marked for all eternity. They're going to be marked in their life. They're sitting in the midst of a miracle. They're sitting under the supernatural. They're sitting in the middle of something that's going to change their life. They're in the midst of a miracle, but they don't know it. They don't feel it. It's routine for them, but the routine is going to turn into something other than routine. It's going to turn into a supernatural pivotal point for their life. How about you? How about you sitting here this morning? Not knowing that I was going to speak, not knowing I would just kind of read this scripture, but could I maybe butt in a little bit and just maybe push this a little bit and say that you've been set up by God to have something happen today in your life that will be supernatural and you're sitting in the middle of a miracle for your life? Now, would that be just kind of routine or yes, that's just kind of church language or maybe, maybe you would lean into what I'm going to say and you would watch what's going to happen here. Now, watch what happens. And when he opened the book, now he's quoting Isaiah, Spirit of the Lord is upon, but it must have been, it must have been, it must have been something so weird. Every time Jesus says, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and I'm, I'm him and I'm me and this is not symbolic, it's me. There must have been kind of a heavenly, matter of fact, I know there was, because later on in this same text, later on in this same chapter, the people felt virtue, and they felt difference. And they asked themselves, what is going on here? Is that not Joseph, son, Jesus? Is, is that the carpenter? I mean, it's him, right? Yeah, but why, when he reads, does it feel so different? Because the anointing of the Lord was on him. He was no longer the carpenter. He's now the miracle worker. He's now the son of God beginning a ministry. He's now moving from blue collar to heaven collar. He's now moving into his destiny. He's moving into a groove of the supernatural. And these people are going to get to be under that. They're going to get to feel that. And so as Jesus reads, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and has sent me. Now, everything he's reading has not happened for 4,000 years. 
They did not have mass miracles ever. They had 14 at the most under Elijah, had seven under Elijah. They had a few under Moses that affected the congregation with the rock and a few things like that. But they had no healing. They had the Naaman thing. They had a few in history they have had when the prophets prophesied a word and a person was healed. But none of them, none of them, think of this, none of them have ever been in the presence of God in their whole lives because they haven't been in the most holy place. Nobody was allowed there. So there was no open heavens. There was no touching of the presence. There was no supernatural. Everything was pushed ahead. Everything was pushed ahead. Someday when the Messiah comes, someday when he comes, when he comes, the Spirit's going to be on him. When he comes, things are going to happen. When he comes. And so all of those people for for. 4,000 years in their synagogues, their meetings. Now, 1,500 years since Moses, they've been doing synagogues. So they've been doing synagogues for 1,500 years. And so they've been talking about what's going to come, what's going to come, what's going to come, what's going to come. And they weren't ready to actually experience it's here. Everyone say it's here. We push things ahead sometimes so much, so much, so much, so much. And all the revival's coming. Revival's not coming. Revival is here. Healing is not coming. Healing is here. Miracles are not coming. Miracles are here. They're, they're now. They're open. But these people had never experienced this. So Jesus is telling them, the poor are going to get the gospel. And they're saying, well, I'm poor. I'd like the gospel. But I guess I have to wait for the next era. And the brokenhearted. Well, I'm brokenhearted. But can't do anything about it. And those that are captive. Well, I'm captive with stuff. And recovery of sight to the blind. Well, I've never seen a blind eye open, but I like the reading this morning. And those who are pressed, as Jesus is reading, what he is saying is this. Everything I'm saying is no longer then, it's now. And if you had a heart to see and a heart to believe, you would understand that I'm resetting the calendar. Now watch what he does. Set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Well, just say, just wait a, wait a minute here. And you can hear the rabbi or the priest or others saying what? The acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee, which has a date dated with the Feast of Israel that was not in the month that Jesus is now reading. And so it's a dated feast, it's a dated open, it's a dated time. Every 50 years would be a Jubilee. Every 50 years would be what they would call the acceptable year of the Lord's year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, it was a set date, set time. And if you happen to be born uh, in year one after year Jubilee, you might not see it for 49 years, or you might miss it. Uh, you know, from death and whatever, but year Jubilee was known to them as a date because all the, the debts were retired and people's lands were returned and the slaves were set free and they would blow the trumpets and party forever. It was the year of party. It was the year of celebration. It was the year of God's goodness and everybody experienced it. Imagine all your debts erased in one day and imagine the land that you didn't have comes back to you. Imagine all the prodigals come back to the house. I mean, it was just the most amazing year and Jesus says to them, I want to proclaim to you that I'm starting the year of Jubilee now. What is he talking about? I have a right to the calendar. No longer 
chapter be set, no longer will you have to wait for things to come. I'm going to reset your calendar right now. And if you will allow me to reset your calendar, the brokenhearted will be healed, the blind will see, the cripple will walk, the heavens will open, I will touch your life. This is the beginning of your year. Now, some of the people, just like you, just like me, thinking, um, what exactly are you saying? This is what I'm saying, if you can accept it. I would like you to date. Today is July 1, your birthday. Whoa, this is prophetic. <laughs> Honestly, you won't forget this. That if you have faith to hear what I'm going to say, God's going to reset your calendar today and he's going to cause the next 365 days of your life to be blessed like you have never been blessed before. It will be your year of favor, your year of jubilee, your year of freedom, your year of release, your year of financial blessing, your year of prosperity, your year where the miracles will take place. For 365 days, he's resetting your calendar. Don't keep waiting. Mark your calendar. Take a chance with me. Mark your calendar and say, you know, why wouldn't I believe it? Why wouldn't you? If the Lord would say to you, if the Holy Spirit would remind you of a word of faith that I have for you, that on July 1st, that man reset my life calendar, and now... I'm going to believe for 365 of the best days I've ever lived. I'm going to believe for turnaround. I'm going to believe for supernatural. I'm going to believe because the year of favor. That's what it is. Proclaim the acceptable year. The acceptable year is the year of favor. Listen to the other translations on that one phrase. And this is what I'm saying to you. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor has started. Oh, come on. How about this one? To announce the year of the Lord's favor has already begun. I like this next one. To announce this is God's year to act big. Oh, okay. This is God's year to act big. How about this one? To proclaim the time of the Lord's favor has come. Don't miss it. To proclaim the time of the Lord's favor is being marked on your life this morning. If you have faith to assimilate something that's in the spiritual realm to your natural realm, to your life, to your job, to your marriage, to your children, to where you're going, where you're going as a church. I want to proclaim to you that on July 1st, we reset the calendar, and from this moment on, this church is going to be blessed and favored of God, and this is going to be the best year you have ever had. You'll have more converts. You'll have more prodigals. You'll have more people coming in. The building will be finished. The money will come. Come in, God will bless, God will pour out, God will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or even imagine to be true. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can have what you want 
on sermons like this. You can cast it out, or you can lean in and say, I need a new year. You know what? How can this be wrong? But the people in the synagogue, there were some of them going, do I hear what he's saying? Is he saying he's going to heal broken hearts now? I think so. Well, how's that? Is, is he saying the blind are going to see now? Yeah, that's, is he saying he just changed the date for the year of Jubilee and that we can actually start with it today? Some people jumped out of that room, went and got their family, and started following Jesus everywhere he went. Don't you understand that some of them went and got the brokenhearted and the unchurched, the unsaved, and the uns, and they went and got people that needed help, and they said, we got to follow this man around because wherever he goes, the heavens are going to be open, God's going to fall, people are going to be healed, and my family's going to be there, and so I'm going to take the oppressed, I'm going to take the blind. Why? Because it's a new day. It's the year of Jubilee. Imagine someone trying to explain that to the family. What do you mean? I don't know exactly, but I'm just going to take it. What do you mean you're going to? I'm going to set the calendar. Mom, July 1st, put it on your calendar. From this point on, it's our year of favor. Favor is going to come upon our house, upon our car, upon our camels, upon our donkeys, upon our sheep, upon everything. We're going to have a year of favor. So, let me put it together this way. If you were a studier and you wanted to kind of study every word in the word family of favor, you would start with Genesis and you would go through every Hebrew word that's within the family. You would find there are six Hebrew words, actually 12 extended Hebrew words that have translations like blessing, prosperity, prosper, uh, glory. You have words that are all in the same family. And then when you go to the New Testament, you have six Greek words that are all in the same family as this acceptable word, this word favor here, this word which is the word grace, it's the word charis, and it has a family of words that come with it. If you would study from Genesis Revelation, look up every single scripture, and then combine all the definitions of the 18 different linguistics that you have at hand, and then put them together, mesh them together, and then rewrite them into one definition, I've done that for you. Okay? So you don't have to do this. How many take, praise God, year jubilee, hallelujah. We'll take it. And I put it in vernacular that is accurate to the meanings. But it's a definition that you'll understand and I understand. So when I say to you, and the favor of the Lord is on your life from this point forward. What does that mean? Let's put up the slide. Here's my definition of favor from the Hebrew Greek words and then put it into modern vernacular. Here's what it means. Align in our life with God's blessing. Now, as you write the definition down, let me be clear, crystal clear. I am not talking about man's favor, 
which man does have. Man has a portion of faith, but that's why there are people that prosper and they're happy and they live and they make money and they travel and they do. And they, they have favor on their life and they, get, they, they call it luck, they call it a lot of things. Okay, I understand that. I'm not going to argue with that. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about only one kind of favor. I'm talking about God's favor. And the only way you can have this favor is you have to align your life with God. If, I hate to say this if you're here and you're unsaved. If you're outside of the cross, what I'm saying is going to be hard for you to get. But it's easy to get if you'll come to the cross. Because you have to align with God's blessings, grace, and favor that positions us. Now here are the words combined. What's it position us for? Increased influence. Whoa. I'd like some of that. Now don't fight with this. Don't say, but I don't deserve it. I can't have it. I messed it up. I can't even have any influence. God gave me influence. I might screw that up too. I better not mess with that. I want you just to accept it. God wants to increase your influence. Supernatural turnarounds where you can't make the turn, you can't make the U-turn, you can't actually have the things you've been But in grace, in favor, supernatural turnarounds. How about limitations broken? Well, I got limitations, it's in my family tree, it's dysfunctionality, it's in my mind, it's in my emotions, I don't feel whole, I don't, okay, 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 I got it, I got it. All of humanity is broken. All of humanity is messed up. But right now, if you will come to the cross, align yourself with the grace of God, there's healing for the brokenhearted. There's healing for the broken pieces. There's healing for people that are under depression and oppression. The grace of God changes life, not just future. It changes you right where you're at, your life. How about dreams awakened, dreams that have died, dreams that are no longer there? How about this one? Missed opportunities redeemed. Now, America is proven to be a nation of depressed people. That's, that's where we're at right now. We have millions of people on legal drugs because of oppression, depression. And one of the reasons, there's a number for these, but... One of them is we're a nation of regret. I should have, I could have, I wish. I wish I never would have gone there. I wish I didn't do that. I wish I didn't, you know, have that moral sin, that moral problem. I should have not done that with that uh, finance. I wish I would have uh, not married. I wish I would have. I mean, we have so many things that we can talk about regrets. I, I missed it. I missed it. I missed the door of opportunity. I missed what was going to happen. I missed it. So I'm going to live my life always thinking about what I missed. And, and, you know, I know God forgives, but I still feel I have a word for you this morning. And the word is God is able to bring back missed opportunities back around again in your life. All things work together for good to them who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. And this is the craziest thing. Only God could do this. And it sounds too good to be true. That's called the gospel. God doesn't just bring it back around again. He brings it back around again better than it was before. And you're thinking, well, that's, I mean, anybody would want that. Exactly. 
Why wouldn't you want that? Proclaim it. Put it over your life right now. Proclaim this is your year of missed opportunities redeemed. Proclaim that those things that you thought would never come back around will come back around. Now, they're going to look different. They're, they're not going to look like they did before. That's why we don't recognize when they come back around. But it's going to be better. It's going to be better in the relational, better in the financial, better in the emotional, better with your future, better with your healing. God is not done with you yet. He has much to do in your life, and he's going to put favor upon you, and that favor is going to just cause you to launch forward into a brand new realm of blessing, a brand new realm of wholeness, and you're going to say, I don't regret any longer, and I'm not going to live in the past. I'm moving forward. Missed opportunities redeemed. Only a supernatural God can do that. And then he's going to give you wide open new doors of divine possibilities. Okay, how many of you, if I was counseling with you and we were knee to knee in a room, and I'm saying to you, will you, will you accept what I'm going to say to you? Well, yes, Frank DiMazio, but I'm going to give you in, increased influence. Because I, let's say I had the power to, to do everything I'm, I'm saying. I had the power to give you. Say, so what are you going to give me? I'm going to give you increased influence. I don't know if I can handle my message. Would you shut up? <laughs> I'm going to give you increased influence. Well, what will you give me? I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you discipline. I'll help you. But I'm going to increase your world. You're going to go beyond where you are right now. You shoot too low. You act too low. You believe too low. You have so many self-insecurities and dysfunctionalities. I'm just going to wipe those out. And I'm going to position you to actually be blessed in a way that you cannot even imagine. But I'm going to increase your influence. I want you just to say to the Holy Spirit, okay. And I'm going to break the limitations off you. You've carried them for so long. And if he would go through this list, and then if he would say to you, uh, mark your calendar. What do you mean, mark your calendar? What, what do you want me to mark? July 1st, mark it. And then start looking every day for the new and the better and the favor. And when people talk with you on Monday and they say, hey, how was your weekend? You're going to say to them, unbelievable. I got marked with favor. I, I've been favored. What do you mean? I, I'm just telling you, I've been favored. I'm going to get the promotion I've been after. I'm going to get some raises. I'm going to have I'm going to have things that I didn't think I could have before. And I've been wanting to give to the building program, and I didn't have any money. But now I'm going to have more money than I could ever deal with. I don't even know what to do with it, and it's all coming my way. That was your weekend. Yep, that was my weekend. How was yours? The word in the Bible. I believe because God said it. But when I agree with it and say it, the word of the Bible becomes my word that is transformational and filled with the power to change me. And so the word can stay dead over here. But when I begin to say it, so what kind of a person are you? I'm blessed. What? I'm blessed. I, I can't help it. I'm just blessed. What do you mean? Well, things work out for me. Well, they don't look like they're working out. That's because you don't see the whole picture. <laughs> what, what do you mean? Oh, no, it's, it's a lot more is coming. You just, you just watch. I'm blessed. 
I'm favored. I, I have no regrets. I'm looking at the future. I am so excited about life. How about you? How about you? If you're talking to a prodigal, what a great door to witness. If you're talking to the unchurched, what a great door to witness. Because you're going to say to them, would you like to be blessed? There's nobody on planet Earth that's going to say no. No, no, I want to live in, I mean, they might. If they are so bad, they can't even say it. But most people will say, I, I, I'd like to, but I'm so unqualified to be blessed. Well, God wants to bless you. God doesn't even like me. How's he going to bless me? I have a solution for you. And then you move in and pray for favor. Now, how you doing? I said, how you doing? How, how, many, how many are in my synagogue this morning saying, but that's the carpenter, and is he act, that's the preacher, but is he saying that this can be for me now? And you're saying, yes. turn to your neighbor and say, I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, I'm saying, yeah. Now, take down these three scriptures and listen carefully as I read them. I'm going to read them in different translations because some translations are better than others. So each one of these are in a different translation. But I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 5.18. Second Corinthians 5.18 reads this way. The new situation is wholly God's doing. Well, that's a statement. For he is the one who restored us to his favor through the work of Christ. Second Corinthians 5.18. The new situation. Everyone say out loud, I'm in a new situation. I've been restored to favor. Now. Today. Today, this is my scripture. Now here's another one. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Listen for the time changes in the verse. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Hear what God says. When the time came... For me to show you favor, I heard you. And when the day arrived for me to save you, I helped you. Listen, this is the hour to receive God's favor. Today is the day to be saved. And when the time came for me to show you favor, that whole definition I gave you. This verse rocks me because it says, I heard you. So the cry of your heart this morning on, I, I hope this, I really want this, I need this, oh God. Oh God, I need your favor, I need reconciliation, I need this, I need that. Lord, I would really like this to be in my life and my, and your whatever it might be. If your heart moves you this morning with a spirit of faith and reach. The Bible says, and I heard you. 
No one else can hear you. But God hears the heart thoughts loud and clear in heaven. So as I feel and I say, God says, I heard that. When you say, I'm just a piece of trash, I can't do it, God says, I heard that. I'm going to change that. And when you say, I think God passed me, I heard that. But you're not going to go that way. And when you say, I hope my children, I heard that. And when you say, can I unwind this horrible thing I did, I'll take care of it. I heard you. We're moving forward, not back. I have grace for that. I'll bring it back around. I'm your God. I'm for you. I know you don't feel it, but I'm for you. I'm your God. I can make it happen. I, I heard you. I heard you. I heard you. Psalms 90, verse 17. Let, everyone say let. It's a beautiful word study in the Old Testament because it means to allow free flow. Let the favor of the Lord be on us. Establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Let the favor of the Lord. Supernatural turnarounds, limitations broken, dreams awakened, missed opportunities. Doors of opportunity opening up. Jubilee, new, powerful. My life, I'm going to align my life to a brand new path, brand new thought. And I know what's going to happen. My next 365 days, you pray that definition every day. You proclaim it every day. You look the devil in the eye and shout at him. You let people know what you're doing. You watch the Lord unfold this favor on your life. And I guarantee you, in a few weeks, you'll be talking to people about it. A few months, you'll be washing yourself in it. In a few more months, you'll be so buried and blessed. You'll be giggling and laughing and, and turning around saying, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did this happen? 99 people applied for that job. And I got it. Can you believe he, ah, I don't even know. People say, how did you get the job? Favor, 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 favor. <laughs> Wasn't me. I don't even, I just, I mean, it just kind of happened. Do you ever, uh, I hope you take this right, but do you ever walk in a mall and see a really ugly man with a beautiful woman? Okay. And do you say to yourself, how did he do that? Or it could be the other way around, but mostly it's the other way. Favor. Not deception, favor. <laughs> God will give you things that people will shake their head and say, how in the world did you get that? <laughs> Are you ready? You let them have it with July 1st, I proclaimed favor over my life, and I prayed it, and I accepted it, and you know what? I, I, by faith, every day I've walked into it. I don't care what I see. I just keep saying it. I'm reading these scriptures, and I'm declaring it, and I'm declaring it over everybody around me, and lo and behold, I've been favored by the Lord and blessed. Would you like me to pray for you? Because I can pray for you, and I can start you September 2nd. That can be your day. We can start today. And so you pass this on to people. Jesus is the one who puts favor on our lives. Bow your head right now. Every person in this room, bow your head. Are there people in this room right now that would say, Frank, I'm not aligned to God. I'm away from God. I don't know God, but I want favor. I've already messed up my life enough. I certainly need another level of living, and I'm telling you what you're saying. If this is true, 
I want this and I need God in my life and I believe it can be true, but I'm here away from God or I need God in my life, would you lift your hand straight up and say, Frank, I'm one of those people that need Christ. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Just lift your hand straight up. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Just lift your hand. Thank you, young man. Anybody else? Right now, you're thinking about it, but you say, I want to be blessed. Thank you, sir. Thank you. When the pastor comes, he'll wrap this up and he'll, he'll give you more direction. But I just want to say, let the favor of the Lord be on this congregation, be on your year, on your marriage, on your business, on your health, on your mind, on your emotions. Let the favor of the Lord heal and bring new realities to human lives that are listening to this message. Lord, we believe in Jesus' name.